Greetings, ladies and metal gents, and welcome to this narration of the web series The Nature of Predators, taken from r slash hfy. If you are new to the series, there is a playlist listed in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 31 Memory Transcription Subject Governor Tarba of the Venlil Republic Date Standardized Human Time, October 3rd, 2136 In half a day, our ship would reach the edge of Republic space and we'd be able to transmit communications back to our UN contacts. The Terrans had been slated to open an embassy on Vendel Prime a few days after our original departure. That meant that they would have full diplomatic staff on world and would be available to help humans aboard. Many Terran nations requested their own embassies so they could conduct their affairs as separate entities. While I liked the Predators... I wasn't giving out an absurd 198 embassies versus every other species' singular sight. Humans were welcome to bicker amongst themselves about who could send their own diplomat corps and how to divide the turf, if they must. I had no interest in making their discordance my business. My focus was on smoothing over both our relations with the Federation. It was also a priority to stabilize my friend's mental health, especially after weeks of isolation and boredom. Learning how the human mind coped with stress would be useful down the road. After careful consideration of the astronaut's mannerisms, I decided there was no major cause for alarm. All of our research showed that humans were highly social creatures. Ambassador Noah perked up just from having new conversation partners at hand. A few days to unwind in the company of his own people, and he'd be begging to get back into the field. He only needed to recharge his batteries, as the Terrence said. Noah's excelled in quite an uncomfortable position, volunteering with the belief that he would be a martyr, standing in as a representative for his whole species. That kind of pressure has to pile up. In conclusion, the International Space Station proved that humanity can cooperate in the stars. The Predator was finishing a story I'd heard before. He had had rapt audience with the Mazic passenger. That scientists see a beautiful Earth differently from above, the ISS was our first patrol off-world. It paved the path for lunar colonies and set a prescient of joint exploration. So then, why has your planet still not united under a single banner, Noah? You do not care for distant members of your species without a, shall I say it, stellar view? Came a scoffing response. When the President Kupo's question reached my ears, I was concerned that other diplomats would voice similar concerns. The Mazic still seemed leery of the human, despite being thrice the weight of the predator. No offense to Noah, but I am pretty sure the beige prey animal could knock him out with a stamp of his flat paw, easily. Humanity's internal divisions were a disquieting issue to the galaxy as a whole. The newcomers seemed to be trying to work up the courage to ask about it for days. When the external threat of predation in our vomitive years... Prey species had to maintain unity. Cooperation was our bread and fruit spread, so to speak. Indulging in petty squabbles would have gotten us killed. I've seen several exit interviews with various status before we left signal range to Alpha. Many dissenters cited Earth's disputes as proof that the predators were incapable of cooperation. It was their main evidence that the primates were still warlike and disagreeable. Humans evolved in a lot of small tribes, which later became nation-states. These each have their own distinct cultures, beliefs, music, stories, cuisines, and languages, the Terran ambassador replied, leaning back in his seat. 
it would be losing part of our heritage to renounce that. And because of our differing viewpoints, we don't always agree on how things should be done. Capo flared his trunk. What? Why can you not maintain your practices under a common entity? You claim freedom of beliefs are a core value. It would be like you unifying with the Nevox. You may like each other plenty. Perhaps you are even allies. But you would not abide by the same jurisdiction. We have common forums, alliances, and trade agreements. So the Nakonis works quite mistaken in thinking we do not speak the language of diplomacy. We work together when it matters. It didn't escape my notice that Tosa, the Nevok representative, was watching with interest. The Sivkit, Zerillion, and Util occupants were also observing the exchange. None of them were being subtle with how their ears were swiveled towards the Predator. The other Federation diplomats had flown with Rissel in a separate ship, too daunted to embark on a human-infested vessel. Kipper was just the only one bold enough to voice what they were all thinking. Now the floodgates are open, I thought. I'd better be ready to intervene if Noah gets overwhelmed. Predator Noah, please forgive my impatience. Laulo, the Yotol diplomat, spoke in a measured tone. The uplifted had given the human a wide berth, but at least was able to meet the startling gaze. Do humans still fight wars when you, um, disagree? Sometimes. One always hopes those quarrels can be resolved with words. Rest assured, a common threat like the Arxor should place any of our lingering disputes on the back burner. The Federation representatives looked baffled by that answer. As I learned early on, the national affairs of Earth were a complex matter was imprudent to deal with any nation individually, since that would be construed as favoritism. Most of the humans' rhetoric was posturing, but they were always locked in jealous competition. It was strange how human tribes, perceiving their interests as separate, they had much more in common than divided them, and they even seemed to recognize their folly when asked. It was one of the several areas I had pointed out to renowned neuroscientist Aja for closer study. I suspect the human temper can run much hotter, much quicker than ours, Chosen offered in a matter-of-fact tone. None of my research suggests their end goal is the loss of life. It is just the result of aggression. Their predatory inclination is to deal with the perceived threat through violence rather than fleeing. Uh, not fully accurate, Doc. Humans have a fight-or-flight response, Noah growled. We can panic or freeze just like you. It varies from person to person and what temperament they have. Some of us are wholly incapable of aggression. A contemplative silence fell over our entourage. The Chowson scribbled something in the sketchbook. The last tidbit was news to me, too. I assumed aggression was part of every predator's natural makeup, since that ferocity facilitated their ancestor survival. Were there really some humans as timid and anxious as us, that cowered at threats like Benlal? If so... It was obvious Noah was not one of those humans. While the ambassador was skilled at masking his emotions, hostility seeped through whenever he saw the Vendel threatened. Its source was almost paternal. The look in his eyes at first contact, when he watched the greys tormenting our pups, was apoplectic. Lots of compassionate humans were angry when they saw those videos. I wish we were home, so the Federation could meet the volunteer doctors and aid workers. It's been too... A rattling noise hummed through the ship, jolting me out of my thoughts. This time, it was more insistent than its previous occurrences throughout the journey. 
There was no reason for the ship deployed a year ago should experience issues, but it roused some worries nonetheless. Hey, Tava, not to stir up panic, but is that grating sound normal? The Terran ambassador asked. Something felt off with the shuttle. Since it took flight, the Predator's unease validated my suspicions. I was inclined to propose further investigation, even though we were one territory away from home. The last thing we needed was to be stranded in space, with a bunch of skittish diplomats and an inoperable ship. I tilted my head. No, it's not. I'm going to run some ship diagnostics, sir, just to be safe. Lalo raised a peach-colored paw. It's coming from the cooling shaft. We should take a look there. As if you know, Tosa scoffed, it'll hardly trust your ilk to fix a sailboat. The printing press is a novelty to you primitives. Were your ancestors born with spaceships? Noah glowered at her, and the Nebok froze under his ocular intensity. I don't know we were graced by the presence of a species who were endowed with divine knowledge. Tosa quivered, her icy fur rising along her heckles. We... We found our way on our own. We, we, we didn't have everything handed to us. New Yodel would have learned on their own with time. You interfered in their natural development so that they could join your war. Are you daft, Predator? The Arcs don't give a grain of salt about natural development. And neither do you. With your insensitive and tone-deaf comments, how the feck did you become a diplomat? Laolo looked aghast at the Predator's vehement defense of his species. I think he assumed that the ambassador didn't know the Yotl's origins, but it was obvious the human had done his homework. The marsupial was likely surprised that the Terran would side with him, especially when he was accustomed to verbal beatdowns from fellow diplomats. It was apparent that Noah had lost all patience with the vitriolic rhetoric towards the uplifted. Tosa's condescension singled the Yotl out at every turn, rubbed my friend the wrong way. However noble his outburst, the last thing we needed for him was to alienate an influential ally. The Nevox could be a crucial supplier of resources and ship parts to Earth. Actually, the Svivkit representative was sobbing from the primate's raised voice. She had yet to speak a word to Noah, only introducing herself to the rest of us while he was asleep. A shouting match wasn't the way to calm her nerves either. Stop it, the both of you, I hissed. Every second we spend bickering, the Arcs will win. Let's be respectful to each other. All right? The human drew a shuddering breath. My apologies, Governor. I'm not the type to stand idle while someone else is mocked and bullied. It's not mockery, Predator. It's merely stating the facts, Tosa said. My name is not Predator. It's Noah, Ambassador Williams. Or, if that's too fecking difficult, I'll settle for human. Oh. Uh, sorry about that, Lulo muttered. The human snorted. You're fine. At least you use my name. The Nevok called a lip. Editor is just a word which does describe you. You're too defensive, Noah. So you can pronounce it. Fascinating. Despite my best efforts, the two of them were still at each other's throats. Whoever managed the Terran relations with the Nevok Imperium, it couldn't have involved Noah in any way. The human was so incensed by his counterpart's attitude that he hadn't noticed Axley balling up into a fetal position. I believed he would have backed down if he realized the fright an ire had caused. Not another word, I swished my tail in frustration. Noah, you are coming with me, alone, and that's not up for discussion. I'm going to run a diagnostic, and we'll see if Laolo's intuition is correct. The Terran ambassador opened his mouth to argue, but then followed my pupils towards the sniveling civkit. His expression softened, replaced by a worried furrow of his brow. The agitation might have undone any progress with the mazic too. 
President Cooper had inched away from the human and was trying to comfort Axley with soothing words. The timid female was unresponsive, rocking back and forth. At least the Zerulean friend seemed to enjoy that, I mused. Dawson was trying to be the ship's stenographer during that whole exchange. Noah lowered his gaze and strode over to me with dejection. The predator risked a glance over his shoulder, making eye contact with Lalo. The marsupial mouthed his gratitude, and the Terran's posture relaxed. He gave the yodel a slight nod of acknowledgement before shuffling into the cockpit. I hovered by the ship's computer, pulling up the troubleshooting module. It would take several seconds to complete a cursory scan, which would give Noah's temper time to blow over. I hoped that nothing was amiss with the vessel. The implications of a defect would be unpleasant. I didn't scare you, did I, Tava? Noah murmured. I snorted. No, I'm just trying to stop Earth's foreign relations from imploding in one week. For the sake of argument, let's say if you piss off the Nevox, the Federation will parade them around, using them as proof that you can't be allies with humanity. And then uh, we lose the undecided votes. Exactly. There is too much at stake for all of us. A soft beep indicated that the diagnostic was complete and we returned our attention to the computer. The holographic avatar of the shuttle zoomed in to the ship's underbelly. It highlighted a long pipe in blinking red. It auto-generated note indicated that cooling food was leaking. The shaft was nestled right next to the warp drive, so it didn't take an engineer to figure out its purpose. That part of the ship was only accessible from the exterior. Fixing it would require a spacewalk. My immediate suspension was that someone had tampered with the vessel, mainly because the pipe leaked just enough that it wouldn't cause immediate alarm or break down in range of the Kolshian surveillance team. But who would have sabotaged us? What was their motive? So it was the cooling system, the human said calmly. Stop the ship. I'll get a vac suit and try to patch her up. I flicked my ears. No, you need to stay here and keep an eye on everyone. Why? I suspect foul play. Deliberate damage. If it's one of the species on board, they could be trying to lure you off ship. That way, they can take all of us out, without having to fight a predator. Noah squinted in confusion. It was refreshing that Ambassador didn't panic at the first hint of danger. His reaction was cool and calculating. The human lacked a full understanding of the situation, and I suspected he disliked the uncertainty more than the peril. That makes zero sense. Who would do such a thing? I don't know. That's what I want to find out. If our vessel went missing in no man's land, with all the humanity's allies on board, you know who would foot the blame? He frowned. Always me, isn't it? I flicked my ears and acknowledgement. Noah shook his head in disgust. Unfortunately, humanity had no shortage of enemies within the Federation. The two of us needed to talk it over and work out anyone who could have a possible angle. Ruling out the five species on board was our top priority since they would be in immediate threat. Of course, it could be someone on Rissell's ship. I wonder if they ran into any trouble, or if this was only targeted at the human, I thought. I don't know where to start. I slammed a paw on the console, stressed at this prospect of ship-wide interrogation. There could be any number of parties involved, someone inside or outside our group, an ally or an enemy. How do we even begin to narrow the field? Let's start with who we think it couldn't be, Noah growled. Can we clear anyone on the ship? Someone we can account for, or almost certain they're fine. I trust Chowson, really. I don't know about him. He's never been unkind to you, which is saying a lot. That's exactly why he's suspicious, Tava. He's too nice. What if he's up to something? 
The Ceruleans were the only ones to reach out before the vote. Also, as you know, we do an awful job controlling our instincts. Chowson couldn't fake not being afraid of a predator. He pranced up to you while his head was dripping with blood. The ambassador tapped his foot a few times and a touch of relief flickered in his brown eyes. It saddened me that mistreatment was so commonplace for him. That normal interactions triggered alarm bells in his head. The Zerudian scientist was the only person I'd seen attempt to squash his instincts in his first meeting with the human. If we trusted Chowson, bringing him into the loop might not be the worst idea. Three minds were better than two, and he was intelligent enough to not jump to conclusions. Besides, someone needed to mend the cooling shaft damage. I would volunteer, except that with my technical know-how, I was more likely to make the warp core spontaneously combust. The fewer people know the true reason of our predicament, the better. Let's hope Chowson can keep his mouth shut when asked. Sharing my suspicions with the entire ship would only incite panic and lead to infighting and accusations. Knowing how paranoid some species were about predators, they would find a way to blame Noah, because, obviously, the nefarious human would cripple his ride home after weeks of imprisonment for some illusionary goal. It made perfect sense, if you didn't think about it. I sighed. Do not tell anyone anything other than what we're fixing a minor problem. I'm going to go fetch Chowson. The human nodded. If anyone could sniff out deceit, it would be an observant predator like Noah. One way or another, we were going to get to the bottom of this debacle. I supposed it was too much to ask for the introductions to be smooth sailing, and for Earth to attain some genuine allies without any hiccups. When I ascertained the responsible party, they were going to receive some harsh retribution, courtesy of the Human Vendor Alliance. End of chapter. Chapter 32 Memory Transcription Subject Governor Tava of the Vendel Republic Date Standardized Human Time October 4th, 2136 The shuttle halted after a few parsecs short of Vendel space until the necessary repairs were complete. This delay tracked hours to our travel time, but none of the other's options were reasonable. If the drive overheated, the ensuing explosion would bring about our swift demise. I wondered how the passengers reacted to a sudden stop, and my refusal to explain any details. Chowson hadn't taken any convincing to come to our aid, even after he processed the murky truth. He was pacing back and forth now, pink tongue lolling out of his mouth. With his quadrupedal stature, the Zerudian barely surpassed the human's knees. Noah was biting his lip, and I assumed the predator was holding back a reaction to the adorable scientist. Now was not the time to divulge that wrinkle to our new friend, especially when that furry guy was the potential ally that we were most optimistic about. I sorted through the shape-conforming vac suits, picking out one designed for small quadrupeds. Strong magnets fixed a standardized toolbox to one sleeve, serving as a few science vessels prepared Chalson for basic repairs. Thanks again for helping us. I uh, do you think this is something you can handle? I asked. I will do my best, Tava. The Zerudian wiggled into the suit, baring his teeth in discomfort. The fabric must feel restricting in all the wrong places. We only need to hold together long enough to get a few parsecs. Let's try to minimize the stress in the warp drive. Slow and steady, I confirmed. Oh, and remember, this is our secret. We don't want anyone else getting wind of this. You really think there's someone here? Why would they damage the ship that they're on with a, um... Noah rolled his arboreal eyes. Predator, 
It's okay, you can say it. Charleston winced. Yeah, I don't see the logic of that plan. If anything were logical, this would all have been much easier, I responded. It's just a possibility for now. Honestly, it's more likely that it's someone outside this group. But some people would sacrifice themselves in a heartbeat to fight flesh-eating monstrosities. I can feel the love, the human growled. You'd be better off to seek respect rather than love. Chowson struggled with his headgear, fumbling with the club. Love can be quite a fleeting emotion, you know. The quadrupedal flicked his ears with annoyance, and Noah helped him click the helmet into place. Those opposable thumbs were more useful than most species' toes and claws. I was impressed by how fast the Terran picked up on alien nonverbal cues, given how little he had actually been told. The Zerudian gave the tether on his chest a final tug, ensuring that he was fastened. He shimmied into the crawl space, and there was a click as the emergency airlock unsealed. Left alone with me, Noah's composition dissolved. A smile tugged at his lips, and he allowed a fawning look into his gaze. Seeing Chowson dressed up in a spacesuiter, with those little teddy bear ears, Tava, my heart feels real fuzzy, the ambassador declared. The amusement flared within my stonem. <laughs> no clue what a teddy bear is. I guess Vendel aren't cute to you anymore if we've been replaced so easily. Don't go getting all jealous of me now. I'm not allowed to think an entire galaxy is cute. You think the Arcs are cute? Damn you. You know, that's not what I meant. You said the... Yeah, I know what I said. And honestly, maybe baby Arcs are cute. Me think they're pretty much any youngling is cute. Even the mean or ugly ones. You've got to be crapping me. You really doubling down on that? I am. What are you going to do about it? A chuckle trolled from my chest, picturing the predator cooing at baby reptilians. That would be stretching their nurturing instincts a little too far for my liking. Humans' fierce protectiveness of their offspring was something I noticed in their earliest transmissions. It would be interesting to meet a little primate, despite her eyes, their innocence and enthusiasm looking endearing. It was wonderful that Noah and his friendship are so easygoing, and that we can mess around now. He would have apologized for the implication before this trip, instead of recognizing that I was kidding. I gave the human a playful headbutt. I'm going to make us focus on potential culprits. We need to go over the list of species on board pronto. With any luck, we can clear most of them. Maybe all of them. Fine, Noah's grin dissolved, and a teasing edge leapt from his intonation. Let's start with Mazik. Even as a reluctant ally, I doubt he'll ever like me. It was tough to reconcile President Coupeau's ridicule during Noah's speech with the potential of friendship. The human had attempted to brush any past incidents off, fielding his critical questions on our voyage with aplomb, at least with Mazik as touching on genuine topics and listening to the given responses. Still, mistrust followed from Coupeau at every turn. He stated himself that his vote stemmed from the Federation's desperation against the Arxor alone. There was little more dangerous than a man with nothing left to lose. Not to mention that Noah's first thought was that the President was only partaking in the foray to stir up trouble. The Mazics would be my prime suspect, if it weren't for the fact that their figurehead was present in the flesh. Surely, the planetary leader would send a stand-in to carry out their devious plan. Why would he cause disruption to his planet's governance, other than as a show of good faith? Cooper came himself, I replied. It would be like me going on a suicide mission. I wouldn't be the first candidate the Vendel proposed. Leadership is important, I suppose, but that isn't a full exoneration. Ah, uh, all right. What about the Nebox? 
You're just picking the ones you don't like first. So, uh, what if I am? The Nevok representative put on a quiet performance for the Predator, perhaps with the belief that playing up her derision would impress him. Tosa's haughtiness had had the opposite effect, though. Her ability to quarrel with Noah suggests either she was brave or the heated dislike was mutual. Predetermined hate was fine motive to ensure a human diplomacy failed. However, the Nevok government had more to gain from trade than most other species. The Terrans would be creating more ships than anyone, in the rush to fortify their fleet. A lucrative defense contract could keep them sated for years. War was profitable for manufacturing powers. I think Tosa dislikes Laulo more than you, I snorted. The Nevok Imperium are using you for economic benefit. If you hadn't already figured that out, they don't accomplish anything from getting us all stranded in space. Noah scratched his chin. But what if they did get something? What if someone like the Krakotl paid them off? While the Nevoks could be bribed, their price would be steep enough that you could buy a whole colony instead. If I were an outside actor, I'd do it myself or find a cheaper entity to do my bidding. It doesn't have to be their government, Tava. It could be in a rogue actor, a single person who was swayed and broke with official policy. We don't have to assign blame to an entire species. Sure, but I think you just wanted to be the Nevox, so that you can gag their diplomat. That is a baseless accusation. Right, I'm going to move on. That just leaves the Sipkit and the Yodel. It would be simpler to make a determination about Axley if we had gotten more than a sentence out of her the whole trip. She displayed more skittishness than the rest of us combined. What if that extreme terror stemmed from the concerns of the Predator catching her treachery? That, or her pre-existing fear, had driven her to act against humanity. However, her open cowardice didn't mesh with the profile of a martyr or a fanatic. I'd expect a little more hatred and reproach from such an enemy. After witnessing the sadistic behavior of Sovlin, though it was a long shot, it would satisfy me if the human captured that officer during their war. I wouldn't blame the UN for executing the Gojin on the spot. If Sovlin somehow survived, I'd want him tried in our courts for throwing a wounded Venlo in a filthy cage with the Predator. Not that Marcel was ever going to eat the neck, but that was the captain's intent. That's attempted murder. Noah tilted his head right now. The only thing the Civ kits are guilty of is poor choice of personnel. That's a bit harsh. Everyone copes with fear differently. I pinned my ears against my head, recalling how disastrous first contact was. My diplomatic advisor passed out at your initial smile. But now, he loves humans. Axley might warm up to you, too. Axley? That's her name. Gotcha. Now on to the yodel. I sensed the marsupial was Noah's favorite. That said, of the species on board, uplifts had the most to gain from the ploy. Outfoxing a predator was the ultimate display of intellect. It would be the swiftest way to silence any primitive jabs. The sabotage could be a calculated risk to garner respect from the Federation peers. Come to think of it, Lalo was the one who blurted out that the cooling shaft was the culprit. The fact that it was just as he said was an oddity of itself. That he hadn't wavered while being discredited and badgered by his colleagues was even stranger. Either the yodel had familiarized himself with the mechanical knowledge to impress the human or he had known about the pipe's defectiveness prior. That alone is pretty incriminating. I'm surprised I didn't catch on to that sooner. The puzzling bit was why Laolo would offer that information, if he was responsible. Someone who was setting up a drive explosion shouldn't want the problem rectified, 
before it paid dividends. The uplift might have known that a diagnostic would reveal the issue and decided to cut its losses. He could always move on to plan B. My tail drooped between my legs. How did the yodel know what the issue was immediately? Well, just because he's an uplift doesn't mean he's an idiot. I didn't say that, Noah. Every other passenger, including myself and you, had no idea. We've been around ships our whole adult lives. It could be a lucky guess. Maybe Lalo's studying to be a mechanic. We haven't talked about our personal aspirations. Even then, there wasn't a trace of doubt. He stated it as a fact, not preceded by I think clause. It was like he knew he was right. The predator was quiet. I sensed him replaying the exact words in his head. Now his disappointment was obvious. Protecting the Yodel was the most passion I'd seen from the ambassador since the desperate plea on the Federation floor. Humanity would love to take fledgling species under their wing and explore the galaxy together. My friend cursed and slammed his fist into a wall. The human bent over once, clutching the hand to his stomach. His binocular eyes were narrowed to slits, while his teeth were on full display. His uncontrolled breathing was animalistic, punctuated by furious grunts. Was the Terran still in control during this fit of predatory rage? My instincts shadowed my consciousness for the first time in a while. I'd never seen Sweet Noah like this. It took all my willpower to step forward and place a shaking paw on his arm. You're hurting yourself more than the wall, I squeaked. It doesn't feel pain. I know that. His lips twitched as he nursed an injured hand. But fuck! I don't want it to be Lalo. The Yodel were a newer species. You don't have historic prejudices against us. We don't know it's him. Let's not overreact. But you were right. It doesn't make sense how he knew. With such confidence. From that one sound. Why is the whole galaxy so unfair? Everyone is so fucking hateful. Silence was my answer. As much as I wanted to offer soothing words, I didn't know how to handle an angry human. Or at what point they presented a threat to those around them. It was possible that my intended response would exacerbate the problem. Trusting Noah to calm down on his own might be the best. I took a deep breath and turned my back to the furious human. It felt wrong to leave myself unguarded, and at least while he was in an attack mode, forcing my eyes open. I searched through the mini-fridge. There was no ice, but hopefully the cold water pouch would suffice. The burning in my chest eased once I stood upright, and the predator was back in my vision. My claws wrapped around Noah's wrist, crewing me into the racing pulse. The ambassador allowed me to move the aching hand, and it slackened in my grip. I gently pressed the water container to his knuckles. At least that would ease the physical pain. Thanks, Tava. Uh, sorry for blowing up in your face. The human's dilated eyes met mine for a moment before he looked away. I have your support, don't I? Always, I whispered. Good. Now let's get back to the others. Before Kupo barges in here, asking a million questions, Charleson's going to be a while. We're not going to detain Lalo, or at least interrogate him. If I tie up the yodel now, how are the others going to react? My explanation won't matter. This needs to be handled quietly. It's better to act somewhere than we're in complete control. Fair point. I can pull him off to the side when we land in Venlo Prime. The predator offered an uninjured hand, and I accepted it with an eye roll. Mischief played in his brown eyes as his fingers intertwined with my claws. One nail tickled the fur right under my paw pad, which caused me to yank my limb back. A hint of a smirk tugged at his face, as the affectionate moment of solidarity was ruined. I pointed towards the control room exit. Start walking. 
or I'm going to start calling you Predator Noah, too. His eyebrows shot up. You wouldn't. Oh, I would. Right in front of your dear friend Tosa. Test me. Fine. Fine, I'm going now. Noah's strides were poised and confident. A far cry from the raving beast I saw minutes ago. I followed him into the cabin, and our return caused the guests to break off their discussions. Axley had been speaking to Kupo, but she skittered away from the human's return. She couldn't keep doing this for the entirety of her visit. There were going to be hundreds of UN personnel on site when we docked. Welcome back, Ambassador Noah, Lalo yipped. Thanks, sir. You were right about the cooling shaft. The predator's tone was light with a false cordiality. And he settled across from the marsupial. Quite clever deduction. We'll be back up and running within the next few hours, I hope. The uplift flicked his ears in acknowledgement. Under the human's watchful eye, I trusted the yodel couldn't pull off any shenanigans. We just needed to maintain the facade of normalcy for a little longer, before we could press our suspect on his involvement. Part of me hoped that our theory was wild speculation, that it could be disproved, for Noah's sake. After our lengthy ordeal, both of us were beset by paranoia. I hoped this investigation wouldn't dampen the Terrans' reception to their new friends. If nothing else panned out, the Zerulians looked like they might be better neighbors than us. This could still be a positive endeavor overall. That would lend humanity a diplomatic foothold within the galaxy. We didn't have to let one rotten fruit spoil the barrel. End of chapter. Chapter 33. Memory transcription of Captain Sovlin, Federation Fleet Command. Date, standardized human time, October 6, 2136. There were no signs of life or civilization nearby. The cinders ablaze rested to off to my side, an orange glow clinging to the black dust. A guard-goged corpse was draped over the ashes, with the spaces between its skeleton hollowed out. It was as though some predator had cleaned the flesh off of its carcass. How had I gotten here? My hind legs were tied to a pole behind me, while my four poles were fastened to one ahead of me. Warmth brushed against my stomach, and my intention was drawn to the source below. A quick glance revealed a pit of hungry flames on sandy earth, stoked by a wooden heap. Feck, I'm next. Someone is trying to eat me alive. I'm giving warm blood and a whole new meaning. What if this is the Oxal? Every instinct encouraged me to scream, but my voice had stopped working. It felt like swimming through cement. Motion lagged seconds behind my brain's signals. My claws tried to move, either to cut through the ropes or thrash about. But as my vision landed upon the curved appendages, they began to peel off my paws. Growling echoed behind me, and a bipedal shape moved within a mass of shadows. It was more rounded and graceful than any arc saw. At first, all I could see of it was a reflection on the flame in its pupils, given that its hideous gaze mirrored light directly towards me. I knew those eyes were predator eyes. Panic constricted my throat, and a thin veneer of logic dissipated. The creature stepped out of the shadows, baring its yellow teeth. That sinewy form, sporting only small clumps of hair, jarred my memory. Everything I knew about humanity, including my decision to remand myself to their custody, came rushing back. That rumbling noise was laughter. They were amused by my helplessness and naivety. Hundreds more humans emerged from the darkness, encircling me. I was right about these hairless freaks from the beginning. Now that their ruse had taken hold, they were going to wipe out every lost Gojid refugee for laughs. 
The first predator twisted the crank on the spit, and my support began to descend towards the fire. Recognition flashed through my mind, picking out a green markings on his arm. It was a UN guard, Carlos. I tried to elevate my torso, but I was sinking slower by the second. Stop! Please! Words finally tumbled from my throat. A stream of panicked whimpers. Carlos, why are you doing this? Humans, you, you don't want to do this. C Carlos! Sovlin, I am not doing anything, the feral predator's voice replied, though I never saw his lips move. Wake up! An invisible touch jostled my shoulders, and I jolted upright in a cramped bunk. My heart was racing at a million miles an hour. Panic made it impossible to think straight. I swiped my claws in a white arc, aiming for the blurry shape in my periphery. A gravelly curse reverberated through the air, and the human sprang back with blinding quick reflexes. Carlos raised his hands in front of him, inching towards the door. The primate's eyes flitted to his holster, which sat on his lap. I blinked in confusion, realizing I was back on a Terran military ship. My claws were still one piece, and nobody had taken a bite out of me while I was sleeping. It was a nightmare, probably the result of my brain trying to process my attitude shift towards humans. My subconscious was clinging to the notion that these predators were twisted and rapacious. The fire thing might have come from Terran soldiers toasting smalls in the cafeteria last night. I closed my eyes and attempted to steady my breathing. So, so, sorry, B bad dream, I sighed. The human narrowed his eyes. I can tell. You said my name, uh... What was I doing? You were roasting me over a fire and laughing while I burned alive. Uh, that's absurd. Sam and I are here to babysit you, not to host a bonfire. I struggled to my feet, using the bed frame for support. The predator had brought me on board as a tactical advisor for their mission to liberate the Gojit Cradle. The UN crew on the bridge gave a distinct impression that they resented my presence. Several officers shot me nasty looks while I was introduced. Captain Monahan, how as the ship's commander, warned her men not to take justice into their own hands. I know many of you have strong feelings on Sovlin, but he's a valuable asset against the enemy, she had barked. He knows their weak points, their tactics, and their terrain we're heading to. If anyone lays a finger on him and it gets back to me, I'll have you shit canned so fast your head will spin. That made it quite evident to me that the, my crimes had been broadcasted across Earth. Carlos had done his best to keep me isolated from the human personnel, while Samantha told me to shrug off any taunts by the soldiers in passing. I had made a few attempts to engage in personal conversation with my guards. They seemed to make a point of pulling out their phones and ignoring my questions when I tried. I was just curious about what a Terrence's life was like, but it was obvious they wanted to shut down any semblance of friendship. It wouldn't surprise me if chatting with a criminal would be put on the odds with their associates. The last thing I wanted was to disrupt the group cohesion prior to battle. My commentary needed to be strictly professional and stick to the greys. I apologize that my dream was about you, and for my subsequent reaction, I muttered. I'll try not to sleep for a while, Carlos blinked. You don't have to try not sleep, Soblin. Well, I I'm sorry for waking you up. You didn't. I was about to rouse you to go to the bridge anyways. Captain wants everyone at the stations. We're about to warp within detection range of your system. I scampered towards the exit at the worst words, not wanting to miss a chance at drawing ox or blood. Carlos's lips curved up slightly, but the snarl on his face, he looked ravenous. He escorted me out the door, whisking me down the dimly lit hallway. 
Dozens of unfamiliar predators were padding through their assignments, without a lick of fear before the looming battle. Many of their faces looked hardened and intimidating. Thunderous chatter carried through the hallway as we approached a bend in the path. We jogged down a small staircase to our right, which deposited us into the bridge. Captain Monaghan was seated in the central chair, swiveling it towards the viewport. I recognized Samantha amongst the group of soldiers, comparing sensor data with projections. There was not stone left unturned and no post left unmanned. Humans were built for this. They adjusted to their medium of space warfare with unnatural speed. They were the only people I had ever seen mirror my excitement to draw arcs or blood. Fear pulsed through my veins, but this time it was mixed with a reverent awe. All plasma weapons charge, man. Targeting systems are on standby, a voice growled at the weapon station. Monaghan nodded. Excellent. Census report. 230 confirmed hostiles on tracking, came a reply. From the respective cluster. No signs of active combat or any remaining UN or Goju friendlies. The Greys still appear to be engaging in bombing campaign. Many arcs are vessels keeping watch. If we see them, they see us. About 40 ships scattered around the inner perimeter. I've sent a trajectory course to navigations that'll direct us through their weakest link. Good. The entire UN fleet made jump safely. They'll divert a few ships to covering our six while we blitz the Hellfire and those bastards. The bridge communication was so calm and professional, like it was down to a science. There was no questioning orders, no emotions mixed into their exchange. Judging by the simulations I saw read my initial briefing, the Terran play was a concrete fire on the older Oxal models. Then they were going to use the swifter ships as decoys, drawing the staunchest defenders out of position. Carlos ushered me to a chair at the weapon station within the captain's earshot. Our vessel dropped out of warp before we could be stunned by any anti-FTL weapons. Dozens of allies shimmered into position around us, cruising at various angles and heading. A golden gas giant rested on one side, and its gravitational field might cause disruption to the enemy's readings. A sensor analyst piped up again. Ma'am, several Arxor patrollers are trying to pinch us in the rear flank, closing fast. All according to plan. Continue ahead. My pupils focused on the space behind us, where several Terran ships branched off to intercept courses. The reptilians attempted to nail them with long-range missiles, but the clever monkeys deployed interceptors as a countershot. A stream of plasma spouted from the humans' railguns, brightening and dazzling. Impressive as it looked, the efficacy was doubtful when an enemy wasn't in visual range. Even predators can't line anything up from that distance. They're just trying to make the Oxal flinch. That skirmish faded into the backdrop, becoming no more than dots on my sensor overlay. Our trajectory was a straight shot to my homeworld, and that meant facing the vessels bombarding it. I believed that the humans would greet the Oxal with a ferocity they'd never seen before. The bristling on my spines intensified as I recalled the videos of the Greys snatching Gojids off the streets. The Terrans and Gojid ships that engaged the enemy were vanquished by now, succumbing to an overwhelming force. Returning with reinforcements was our final hope, but what could we save of our society? All of our landmarks and cities had been pummeled into oblivion. My thoughts strayed to a UN soldier on the surface who fought tooth and nail for a civilian. The ones who missed their extraction were fecked, for lack of a better word. I wondered if a handful of humans had gotten into a bunker and were trying to wait out the storm. Would Gojits even allow a predator to hunker down in their shelter? They definitely see us, the sensors technician hissed. 
52 ships and counting, breaking off from the bombings formation, all on an intercept heading towards the fleet. The navigation officer looked at the captain. Shall we alter our course? Captain Monaghan scowled. Negative. All stations, repair to engage. The viewport magnified a small blip, and an angular behemoth appeared on screen. Its design catered to pick as many explosives on board as possible. I wished I could be more useful than a spectator, barked at the weapon station. The humans around me weren't seeking my advice, as I'd hoped, but I worried that piping up might be taken as a criticism. The officers around me were lining up plasma beams with a hostile nose, using AI assistance. While structural damage would be a plus, it wasn't a crippling knockout that they were seeking. The precious time we spent reloading could give the Oxal time to pelt us with missiles. One human held a clawless finger over the firing trigger and waited for the go-ahead. You're targeting the wrong spot. The words slipped out of my mouth and a few irritated gaze landed on me. I didn't know how anyone could get used to that paralyzing stairs. You, you, you could do more, more damage elsewhere. Sit down and shut up. A primate to my right sneered, wrinkling his nose. I believe I overheard a cohort call him Oliver. You're fecking lucky we don't use you as bait. Captain Monaghan raised a hand. That's enough. Speak up, Sovlin. You're here for, to offer insight. You're trying to knock out propulsion and ventilation. Like your briefing said, which your intelligence is right. That's the play that for most ships. But this is a heavy bomber. And, she pressed, it's bursting with the seams with explosives. You hit it anywhere in its belly and it'll go up in flames much cleaner. How do we know he's not trying to trip us up? Get us killed, a disdainful Oliver shouted. My nostrils flared with indignation. I would never help the Oxal. It can't be that hard to believe that I want those feckwits to fry. The captain drummed her fingers on the armrest, reminding me of my behavior with claws. Monaghan was debating whether to trust me with the lives of her crew, even if my counsel was a good idea on paper. With the greys coming in hot, there were only seconds to reach the decision. I was a variable to her. Someone who, until days ago, would cheer this entire ship was terminated. Now I see humans as people, or at least I'm trying to. But I wouldn't believe that from me in her position. Lower our heading and fire a shot as quick as possible. Target the center of its underside, she growled. Sovlin, if you're wrong about this, I'm going to throw you in a deep dark hole for a long feckin' time. A falling sensation permeated the artificial gravity as the warship rapidly altered its course. The weapon station heeded the orders, despite any crew members' extraneous opinions. They selected the approximate coordinates and dispatched a plasma beam in quick succession. The Arxal ship's approach carried it with the weapon's range, and it launched a few of the missiles towards us. The human's power was committed to weapons, not shields. We didn't have enough time to raise them and stabilize our defenses. The Terrans veered sharply to one side, and I prayed the projectiles would avoid our clipping us. The energy from our railgun closed the distance with formidable speed, sizzling across the sky. Our plasma volley arrived before the arcs or munitions, punching into the missile play. Explosions rocked its insides and set off chain reaction that culminated with the drive. Premature cheers came from the humans as our opponents were reduced to a sea of shrapnel. While I was satisfied with my own knowledge, the Grey's destruction didn't stop the inbound explosives. Our hull creaked from the strain of evasive maneuver. The missile indicators practically overlaid with our ship. My heart pounded in my ribcage. One by one, the flashing dots slipped past us, avoiding contact with the extensive vessel. 
It was only then that I allowed myself to celebrate our first triumph. Standing on a bridge with these predators felt good for some strange reason. Nice call, Sovlin. Captain Monaghan bared her teeth, which made me shudder. We'll make a note of that in ship class. Thanks for the heads up. Don't mention it, like I said. I want those monstrous cities to dead. All of them dead is the plan. Those words were music to my ears. Was it too much to hope for my planet and my galaxy to be cleansed of merciless filth? The Arkthor deserved to have their own tactics lobbed against him. There wasn't enough suffering in the world for our nemesis, but I would settle for a long list of casualties. The human vessel plowed ahead, continuing to make headway towards the Gojit Cradle. Scoring a victory today would be the kind of morale booster Earth needed, and for the first time in a while, I thought the Federation might have a chance in the war. We had our own predators now. End of chapter. Chapter 34. Memory Transcription, Captain Sovlin, Federation Fleet Command. Data, Standardized Human Time, October 6, 2136. The way the humans maneuvered through space was like a bird of prey, swooping down on its intended target. It was a graceful and emotionless flight, as I watched the blues and tans of my planet come into focus. Those in the UN fleet who shrugged off their assailants fell into position and began to coordinate their next targets. Meanwhile, the dogged Arxa were forming ranks across the globe. They had no intent of relinquishing their position to a few primitives. Every sort of ammunition imaginable was ready to be lobbed at the first UN ship to stray too close. The Terrans weren't foolish enough to approach the reptilians directly. Instead, charging their calls off to one side. Our numble ships then hooked sharply back towards the fray, with surprising maneuverability. I'm surprised the Terrans specked into speed. It's clear they tweaked whatever Vendel building blocks they got in their hands. The furless predators at our weapon station were growling over which enemy to take on. An indicator blinked red on my data feed, as the human signaled at the weakest link. I squinted at the viewport, studying their selection. The enemy ship's exterior had lost its shine, and its armor didn't look as thorough as its companions. Deploy missiles on target and follow it up with everything our rail guns got. Captain Monaghan's voice pierced our scare, booming and authoritative. Divert all powers to shields as soon as we get off shot off. Carlos tapped me on the shoulder. Hold on. We're going to be in for a rough ride. Let's hope our new developments, our ablate of armor, pay off. We banked towards the intended target, which seemed to be tracking us as well. A spray of kinetics battered our exterior, though they did little more than superficial damage. The Terran ship design diverged slightly from the Federation, which meant the Greys hadn't learned our weakness. The primates held much more intelligence about the Arxor than the other way around. Around us, UN ships were careening into the fray with guns blazing. Pockets of fire littered the space in our periphery. I couldn't tell who was suffering more losses than its initial confrontation. The clash of two species of equal ferocity could only mean carnage. The bombing of the cradle ground to a halt at the least as every ship was drawn away to address the vicious humans. The fact that the large-scale conflicts with Apex predators is even close as a damn miracle. It's easy to forget the Earthlings developed FTL a few months ago, I mused. I imagine how indomitable they could be, given a few hundred years to practice. A scary thought. Amidst my musings, our spacecraft pelted its component with a flurry of missiles. Prompt point defense took out most of our firepower, 
but a handful detonated against the Oxal armor. The rival ship struggled to regain its bearing and was unable to return fire with its own munitions. While dazed and possibly with navigational troubles, its defenses and shrugged off our initial assault, the dilapidated Oxal vessel peeled back towards one of its compatriots seeking backup. I could feel the roar of our engine as we gave chase at full speed. The technicians at the weapon stations were racing to get their shot off. Obliterating the greys with plasma would be a stylish finish. The enemy sensed that they were about to be nailed by a railgun and yanked their nose skywards. The humans failed to compensate for the change, of course, and the plasma stream missed the mark by a wide margin. The reptilians were emboldened after skirting our heavy blow. They knew we would have to reload. Worse, they succeeded in drawing a partner's attention. And this late joiner was a new Oxa model. Ray shields, the Terran captain barked. Switch over to kinetics, full speed towards the UNS Lovecraft. Our flight took an erratic path as the engines were pushed to their limits. The state-of-the-art fresh Oxor partner had no trouble keeping pace with us, even at our maximum speed. This was back to what they were used to, chasing an enemy that knew that they were beaten. The human predators were on their heels like everyone else. The Terrans sent out bursts of kinetic bullets despite knowing full well that the grey shields would absorb their punch. Right now, we needed to buy time to find our own backup. It couldn't hurt to throw everything in our arsenal at them. My senses told me that both Arxel ships had us target locked, and that couldn't have been a good omen. On screen, the allied UNS Lovecraft moseyed towards us. The flashy blue crest of the hull demonstrated it wasn't designed for camouflage. The rectangular ship, which seemed to boast retractable doors, suggested it could be transporting smaller craft. The human ship was an unseemly clump of mass and guns. A layer of paint didn't hide that it was a predatory prowler. Some of their ships are definitely modified Vendel models, but this one, this screams humanity, I thought. A census technician glanced at the captain. The computer suggests the second ox or hostiles railguns are charged. Evasive maneuvers are infeasible. Understood, Monaghan replied, her voice icy calm. Race for impact. My claws sank into the armrests, and nerves bubbled in my chest. Why were the humans not showing more alarm? An imminent threat on their lives should at least rattle anyone with a trace of sanity. I knew that these predators could feel fear from Marcel's responses to me. Plasma snaked towards us, hungry to devour our metallic shell. The white-hot blur plowed into the aft hangar. At least, that's where the sensors registered the impact. My arm was nearly jerked out of its socket as the force reached the bridge. The overhead light snapped off from the electrical short circuit, and baseboard lighting provided an eerie glow. The predators that were standing found themselves on the ground. A few of the unfortunate crewmates face-planted and hobbled off to mend their injuries. Alarms warned that structural integrity was compromised. Atmosphere was venting from the rear sector, which would require repairs if surviving this battle. You and us, Rosinante, are you right? A throaty voice crackled from the speakers. Captain Monaghan surveyed the bridge. Still in one piece, Lovecroft. We could use a hand. You heard the lady, came the reply. Better up, boys. Our ship staggered down to avoid getting in their line of sight. The Lovecroft piled up twin rail guns on its broadside, undeterred by the energy demands. I doubted that they could command the same power as soul armament. The humans must believe wounding an enemy in two places offset that drawback. The newfangled Arxor wisened up to the peril a bit late. 
By the time it slowed its pace, the Terran plasma was already in transit. Two simultaneous beams blazed scars on both flanks, connecting with several key systems. The drive plume flickered out altogether, which meant our foe was out of commission. Ewan pilots steered the Lovecraft towards the original Oxor and deployed missiles on target. With that monstrous warship on our side, confidence was restored within the bridge. Several human eyes glowed with anticipation of the kill. These predators smelt blood. While the aged vessel was preoccupied with the inbound parcel, the weapon station coaxed our ship's railguns back online. A plasma beam barreled towards its target with perfect aim, magnetically accelerated by my devious partners. My instincts told me the enemy was toast before it arrived. Some intuition sensed that the momentum had shifted in our favor, and the Terrans didn't need a second chance to capitalize. Fire seared atop the enemy's armor, and its integrity collapsed. The scorched metal split open from side to side, leaving the ship powerless and immobilized. With its weapon systems knocked offline, the Arxor couldn't deploy interceptors against the Lovecraft's missile barrage. The vessel exploded in an orange burst, turning into metallic residue and fragments. That'll leave a mark, came a gloating command of our allies. We're off to respond to another distress signal. Smooth sailing! Captain Monaghan offered her thanks over the comms before reviewing the damage to our vessel. It wasn't quite as extensive as I would have expected. There were some nasty wounds across the ship's body, but all major systems were functional. As long as there were no issue funneling power to weapons and propulsion, we were still in the fight. The human officer straightened. Navs, bring us closer to the planet. Now structural integrity is weakened, so we're going to play a supporting role. I lowered my head for a moment, trying to cleanse some of the fear chemicals from my system. The exhilaration of killing the Oxor was lost beneath raw sensation. The burning in my chest was making it difficult to breathe, as if I was walking in line with cardiac arrest. While the predators breathing down my neck were dangerous and untamed, I was thankful that they were at the helm. A human split-second decision-making under duress was clearly better than mine. Our brush with death struck more fear into my heart than any of the surrounding crewmates. And you're considered exceptionally brave at home, I mused. I suppose keeping it together enough to function is what we consider stoicism. Our vessel curved in a winding path through the battlefield, avoiding a solo confrontation with any lurking Arxor. It was sobering to see that several dozen UN indicators had flicked out in our senses. I hoped these measurements were erroneous, or at least each fallen had at least taken two enemies with them. The good news was that we had numbers. That advantage was minimized in clashes involving the Federation when fleets often fell to disarray at just the first sign of incoming fire. A bold charge like the Terrans were attempting was nigh unthinkable. We lost the psychological war before we ever thought of a physical one. Senses pick out any targets that are showing signs of critical damage. Captain Monaghan nodded at the viewport, a thoughtful look on her face. We don't want anyone to limp off and nurse their wounds. On it, a technician answered. My eyes turned to the cradle a homesickness burgeoned in my chest. Beneath the tranquil blue exterior, I knew the ground was ashen and lifeless. The Arxor ships gliding above the atmosphere, menacing the skies. They were locked in combat with the humans now, but if our mission failed, they would return to bombing in a heartbeat. A dark, rectangular object with burned away from the planet's glow caught my attention. 
There was only one Oxal ship that would flee from the heart of battle. My heart sank to my stomach, and I realized which target the Terrans had to choose. It was a small mercy for the souls on board. I leapt to my paws, ignoring the bile rising my soap. Terminate the hostile labeled A9241 on your senses, please. It's on an ascent course, departing from the cradle. Hold on. Why that particular ship? Monaghan asked. I met a steady gaze. It's a, a cattle ship. It cannot be allowed to leave the system. Put those gojits out of the misery. Uh, I beg of you. There are innocent hostages on that ship. We don't kill civilians whenever it's possible to avoid it. But their fates are much worse than death, humans. Please tell me that you're logical enough to understand. There are children on there, and I know you care for them. You're saving hundreds of people from an existence you cannot imagine. The captain studied her own readouts and waved the first officer over for a brief conference. I didn't know what she was discussing with him. It was an easy decision to me. The hushed words gave the greys time to get away. Maybe these predators did have a stunted morality. If they couldn't discern the lesser evil here, forget the letter of the law. Monaghan's head snapped. Sovlin, how many Arksaw do you expect on board? I don't know. It's not like anyone's ever been on one of those ships, I growled. But, uh, their landing parties are usually around two to three dozen per group. That seems manageable. I'll put together a breach team, and we'll send a shuttle to board them. We need to knock out propulsion so that they're dead in the waters. The proposition was so simple, yet it almost moved me to tears. I couldn't believe these savage beasts would attempt a rescue mission mid-battle, at grave peril to their own personnel. From how the UN captain reacted, it was her first instinct. The thought hadn't crossed my mind to think of those gojids as anything but gone. As the officers began assembling a flight crew, I realized there was a foundation of genuine trust forming. The idea that humanity would want the sapient livestock for themselves had barely crossed my mind. I'd begun to believe that this conquering species would help us, just as they had with our refugees. Captain Monaghan barked orders to the bridge personnel, who began scrounging with what energy they could for the plasma railgun. There was no time to await backup, and most UN ships were preoccupied regardless. The comm station notified all nearby friendlies of the cattle vessel, so that it wouldn't be shot down while we were trying to seize it. If reinforcements arrived down the line, that would be a bonus. Sovlin, I'm going to offer my name for the boarding party. Hatred radiated from Carlos as his gaze scorched towards the viewport. I'm a foot soldier after all. I would like to take a crack at those great freaks. The human's pent-up rage seeped out as they contemplated the terrorizing foe. Hunger trickled into their stances and snarls. I could almost feel its burning hum through their veins. Wild, untapped anger spurred the primates to action and demanded retribution for the cruelty they perceived. They're channeling their predatory energy, but they're still in control of themselves, somehow, even in hunting mode. Can't imagine the instant ruse of thoughts it puts in their heads. Our ships raced towards the Arksaw transport, gaining on the clunky object. Cattle vessels did have external weapons, but they were more limited than their warship counterparts. However, their internal armory wouldn't be efficient. By any metric, they were equipped with the tools to eviscerate a city. This wasn't going to be an easy task for my human allies. You're all so noble and fearsome, I growled. Captain Monaghan, let me accompany your team, please. The captain raised her eyebrows. Why would I do that? So the only Federation asset we have can be KIA. KIA? Killed in action. Oh, uh, uh. I won't get in your way. 
If you manage to free the Goshids, you'll need me to stop the stampede. They're not going to be in their right minds. You'll, uh, see why. Monahan's rosary lips twitched, and I could sense the unspoken question in her tongue. After witnessing our lack of composure during the initial landing, she wasn't sure I'd be in my right mind. It was a valid question, honestly. Charging through an enclosed space surrounded by Arxor and gunfighting would break most gojids. The mere sight of binocular eyes pumped dread through my veins and made my spines bristle. It was a constant effort to push that aside, but I could power through it in most cases. My fury towards the greys had to be enough to override it. I tried to show my determination through teeth-bearing, raising my claws in a threatening manner. She sighed, rubbing her forehead. Very well, don't feck this up, and, for the love of God, don't die. Understood, ma'am, I answered. Just, uh, if the mission fails, please take out that ship. No matter who's on board, they won't make it out of the system. Not on my watch. A wave of livid excitement almost swept me off my feet as I eyed the cattle vessel in the viewport. Few people met the Arxor face to face and lived to tell the tale. Insertion into an enemy ship could end in a complete catastrophe. Such a feat could be unheard of. My predatory companions either didn't realize or didn't care how risky their stunt was. The eager weapon station pinpointed their target, and plasma arced across the void. My nostrils twitched in anticipation. I was raring to go, same as the predators. This role was a pitiful attempt to atone for my crimes, but at least I felt certain that I was in the right side. Any way I could assist the humans, I was going to chip in. End of chapter. Chapter 35. Memory Transcription. Subject. Captain Sovlin, Federation Fleet Command. Date. Standardized Human Time. October 6, 2136. The bulletproof vest afforded to me by the Predators was snug around my spines, but nearly fell off my shoulders. Its shape was not designed for the rotund gojud species. The slender curvature of the human spine was a polar opposite, evolved for grace and flexibility. I knew the armor might save my life, but I wished I waited longer to don it. My bristles were being compressed at irritating angles, and the nearest soldiers seemed annoyed by my inability to sit still. The humans were sandwiched together in the shuttle, brushing shoulders with each other. I was glad to be at the end, so I could lean towards the wall. Samantha traded places with Carlos halfway through the ride. She bore an obvious disdain for me, but the male guard had enough of my fidgeting. Many of the general soldiers curled their lips in contempt as well. I wasn't winning any popularity contests with these predators. I was grateful that we were only a minute out from the cattle vessel. Did we succeed at paralyzing the Arxor transport? I asked the female chaperone. Her eyelashes fluttered in annoyance. Yes. Were you not listening to the damn announcements? Relax, Sam. It was an innocent question, Carlos sighed. I'm sure he just zoned out. You feel sorry for the racist war criminal? A soldier called out. I saw a few humans nod their head in agreement, which caused me to lower my gaze. There wouldn't be many tears shed by anyone other than the UN brass if Arxor gunned me down today. Not that I blamed them. An honorable death wasn't the worst thing I could think of. Dying scared me more than death. I wish I had a weapon so I could actually help. I don't want to stay back and let them do all the fighting. Well, that's good news, I said, ignoring the jab. Can I have a gun? No. A chorus of voices answered in unison. I waved my claws dismissively. Worth a shot. 
The shuttle lurched beneath my paws and my vest pressed harder against my spines. There was a good to be some sort of light bruising tomorrow, if I lived past this battle. Our craft latched onto the oxal wing, attached itself to the immobilized transport. We inched forward so that our airlock stood across from theirs. A vac-suited predator slipped into our emergency airlock, and I strained to see the movement through the window. The Terran unfurled a walkway to our side, then floated across the oxal vessel with a gentle push. All that tied him to us was a thin rope on his waist. He tested the red lever with a feeble hand and confirmed that it wasn't locked. The human nodded to himself and used some sort of suction technology to adhere the tunnel to the enemy's ship. His feet clicked onto the ground as the artificial gravity initiated. Once the corridor was sealed from the vacuum, he raised his thumb to the rest of us. I didn't understand the signal, but the others took it as a go-ahead. The UN soldiers trundled out the ship, wielding massive rifles, while the predators possessed few natural gifts. They were saddled with a truckload of gear. Their warriors were clad head to toe in black armor, including a hard shell atop their heads. Once they shoved reflective goggles over their eyes, humans looked homogenous, impassive machines. Stick behind us, Sovlin, Samantha rose to her feet, falling into the rear of the pack. We can't leave you here to get captured. Take cover and stay out of the way till you're needed. Silence fell over our entourage as the primates crossed the cattle ship's threshold. I couldn't help but notice the human sinking posture as though they were stalking prey in a shaded forest. They were crouched in a fraction of their normal height, with steps with furtive and calculated. Their guns swiveled in every direction, searching for a target to bounce on. With a hint of reluctance, my paws followed them down the tunnel. There were some short bursts of gunfire as they pumped a few unprepared oxal full of lead. I suppressed a chuckle, knowing it would make me seem deranged. The enemy would raise the alarm now but I relished that we got the drop on them. My attention switched to the reptilian interior, taking mental notes of its facilities. The Federation would kill for intelligence like this. The atmosphere was musty, but the lighting was rich and plentiful. The hygiene on the enemy ship was surprised me as well. It didn't reek of rotten flesh or blood. I guess those savages understood basic disease transmission after all. We followed the entryway a few hundred paces before we reached it bend in the path. The team leader poked his head around the corner and immediately recoiled. A barrage of bullets decimated the wall, where his shell cap poked out moments earlier. He ducked behind the cover, hugging his weapon to his chest. Eight or nine hostiles arming themselves and taking positions, he hissed. They're waiting for us. We have more numbers than that, but the Arxor have a clear line of sight. They're going to nail us as soon as we advance. A human rolled a metal canister across the floor, which released a milky plume of smoke. Irritants dispersed through the hallway, and I squinted to see anything. There was no way the Arxor would determine our position, if I could barely see my claws in front of me. Shrouded in a haze of silver mist, the Terrans stepped out from behind their refuge. The Arxor sprayed bullets in our direction, hoping to connect with something. These sounds helped the humans key in on their positions, and they spewed their own rounds back in return. The Terrans seemed to fare better in the low visibility with their remarkable adaptiveness. The silhouetted movement I glimpsed in the midst suggested the few greys were hit. As the smoke dissipated, the primates sprang towards the makeshift shelter they could find. Carlos pulled me behind a supply cart and popped his gun over the top. Samantha sprawled on the floor beside him, 
Her hands were steady as she gazed down the scope and fired at Arxor attempting to fall back. I didn't know the Greys could retreat. I imagine down that main staircase we'll find the living quarters, the cattle pens, and the bridge, Samantha growled. They don't want us to get anything vital. The female human stood to get a better look and inched forward to join another UN cluster. My eyes drifted to the Arxor she shot, who was bleeding profusely. The enemy bastard was still twitching, until another Terran soldier unloaded a club into its head. That was overkill, but hey, I wasn't judging. Samantha caressed her rifle with a gloved hand and waved for Carlos and I to follow. Hesitant as I was to move, the handful of hostile survivors were regrouped with their brethren. The Terrans blinding every combatant caught by Oxor off guard. It forced them to make concessions and await backup. The Greys haven't fought a true enemy in a long time, have they? I mused. They haven't been on the back foot for a second in this war. Our weakness must have them complacent. There was no sound from the presumed Oxor position, and I guessed that they were lying in wait. The Ewan contingent advanced with caution, creeping towards the stairway. Their boots glided across the metal, as light as the patter of rain. Whether they were coached by instinct, training, or generational experience, I did not know. A grating voice rumbled over the PA. Greetings, fellow hunters. I take it you don't appreciate that we are... <laughs> stole your catch. Several human predators startled, and their intention shifted overhead. My jaw almost dropped to the floor. The Oxel never conversed so eloquently with us. We translated their dialects at first contact, but I couldn't remember them enunciating anything but vulgar threats in my lifetime. It was incredible that they had words for greetings or appreciate. They would have offered to split the hole if we had realized our intrusion sooner. The Oxel continued, You made things much easier for us, and we're not entirely ungrateful. You already learned that Gojits make excellent slaves, judging by your companion. I bared my teeth, incensed that this monstrosity thought that I was a human plaything. While I was a Terran prisoner, that was a far cry from servitude or degradation. There was nothing I had been forced to do. My presence on this mission was voluntary, and my treatment was fairer than I deserved. Carlos nudged me, pointing to a blinking red light on the ceiling. There was a camera tracking our movements and granting the enemy full view of our advance. He raised only his middle finger, and several of his counterparts copied the gesture. I didn't understand what that meant either, but I guessed that it was something hateful. Go fuck yourselves, the male guard shouted. Probably that. Note to self. Ah, to be a young race again. Let's get that aggression out of our systems. Then after, we should pull our resources to bring the lesser species to heal. The reptiles sounded almost disappointed, as though we would enjoy a test of strength. Anything else would be wasteful. When our interests are aligned, as loathsome as sharing is, there's enough food to go around. But those demons just offer to ally with humanity against the Federation. My blood boiled at the thought. It had to be a trap, since everyone knew the Arxor were incapable of interspecies cooperation. They couldn't get along with themselves. The Greys were locked in a global bloodbath, which jeopardized their world survival. We found them then. The prospect of the Terrans switching sides was unnerving all the same. 
The clawless omnivores hadn't been welcomed into the galaxy with open arms. The lack of clarity from our factions meant threats could still reside within the Federation. Would humans view siding with monsters as the only way to save the Earth? Carlos gunned down the camera lens with prejudice and answered the question for me. His knuckles were stained against the cloth coverings from being clenched around his rifle. The soldier at the advanced form front raised a fist and our posse shuffled to a halt astride the staircase. Odds were the enemy were gathering in the deck underneath us. Fire in the hole, a human voice declared. A UN soldier lobbed a grenade into the open area, and we watched it clatter down the incline. The resulting explosion detonated atop any oxor in the vicinity. I heard a gurgling scream as if shrapnel hit one of the reptiles in the throat. My predatory allies moved down the first steps and followed it up with another explosive toss. That would be enough to get any enemy to move back. The primates bounded down the last of the staircase and jammed down their firing triggers. I followed Samantha's movements and tried to keep my head low. We took refuge behind a trash can in what appeared to be a mess hall. There was blood-speckled trays and reading materials left abandoned on the tables. What do you know? Eating sentience is a communal activity, I guess. Oxor gunfire peppered the walls around us and took down several humans. Other Terrans stepped in as soon as they saw a counterpart felled, dragging them to safety. Attempts to stimmy the bleeding looked hopeless in many cases, but their efforts were charged with emotion. It was mind-bogglingly how the Predator's warrior class could forge such deep bonds. How they could even think of their fellow man during the insanity of battle was beyond me. The amount of Oxor tickled every flight urge in my DNA, and overstimulation made my head swim. This wasn't at all like my revenge fantasies. I was helpless without any weapon, and one of them lunged at me. I could sense several reptilian eyes on me from the vantage point. Dinner was walked in front of a firing squad. Malicious snarls sent in my direction told me that they saw in my form. The humans, for all their wanton teeth-bearing, had never seemed to be so distracted by me. S stay calm, Sovelin. You hate predators. You want them to burn, rot, and die in agony, I murmured. Samantha snorted. Gee, thanks. Not you. You're different. Whatever you. A stray bullet grazed the female's headgear, and she sensed the clipper cap and fell back as a knee-jerk reaction. The soldier dragged herself back up against the waistband with erratic breathing. After taking a moment to collect her wits, she worked to get her rifle situated. Guilt flashed through my mind, realizing my distraction almost killed her. Calling my guard's friends would be a stretch, since that required a mutual respect but they had become familiar faces, and I didn't wish for anything to happen to them. There had to be some way for me to help, rather than impede their progress. Carlos was couched further a few paces deeper, using the upturned table as shelter. Several UN soldiers were positioned there, coordinating fire. My eyes widened in alarm as I saw an ox or duo attempting to encircle them. I shouted to warn the humans, but the deafening pops of gunfire drowned out my words. Panic flooded in my chest as a reptile straightened its rifle, Sitting here and doing nothing wasn't an option. Samantha was too rattled from her encounter to react in time. The mangled ox or corpse down by a grenade at the base of the staircase caught my eye. A crazy thought leapt into my head as I glimpsed at the bloody gun and its grip. Sovlin, what the feck are you? The female human began. I dashed out behind cover and retraced my short steps into the room. The tire was slick with blood, which made traction a struggle. Prying the firearm from the beast's lifeless grasp, I tried to line up the shot. 
My heart was hammering at a million parsecs an hour, and my paws quivered too much to steady it. The lead oxlaw fired off the first shot, nailing one of Carlos's companions in the back of the neck. The other human whirled around, but they couldn't react the half-second it would take to execute them all. Gritting my teeth, I tried to lock my wrists. I released several rounds, praying that I wouldn't accidentally hit the Terrans. Two of my first bullets nailed the first oxel, and it crumpled to the floor. Its partner stumbled over the body, which gave the primates enough time to swivel around. An unfamiliar Terran blew its head off with the panicked motions. Carlos turned his masked skull, looking for the source of the shots that saved him. His gaze faced me as I skidded back to Samantha. The female snatched the firearm from my grip, tucking it under her arm. You're really going to take the gun away, I groaned. I saved... She offered a grudging sigh. You saved Carlos's life. I'm good at killing, for a gojid. Let me help, please. Not a chance. Don't even think about putting that stunt like that again. I chewed my claws and leaned back against the wall. Several human corpses were strewn about the entry point, suggesting many hadn't been as lucky as Carlos. These Terran soldiers were resilient, but it was evident Ox or Marksman had wicked accuracy. About half of our active allies appeared to be nursing injuries, which spoke to an unrivaled ability to persist through pain. Then again, I couldn't tell when crimson bloodstains were theirs or a comrades. Regardless, our ranks weren't unscathed. From what I could make out of the cedary, the Greys had suffered the fair share of casualties too. Their numbers were whittled down to ten or so, by my estimation. The UN warriors were starting to gain ground and flush the enemy out. I don't think the reptilians were prepared to fend off a larger contingent of predators. The hostile gunfire ceased without warning, and I tilted my head in bewilderment. A fire team skidded across the floor, followed by a series of others. A handful of oxal rose to their full height, watching the primates' next move. The humans paused their barrage, suspicion in their eyes. What, in the name of the Protector, was this? End of chapter. I would quickly like to thank the Tier 5 members, Marky, Cam Maxwell, Caspar Arnolds, Oakfield, Lord Azrakal, and it's difficult to pronounce. Thank you very much.